0: How many of you were asked in the last 30 days, what do you want for Christmas? How many of you were asked that question? Probably all of us at least once, right? And, and how many of you replied, or you asked someone and they replied, I don't know. Anybody like that in here? And uh, you're like, I don't know what I want. How many of you knew exactly what you wanted? You, you, had it, you knew exactly what you wanted. And uh, how many of you have a family member that is really hard to shop for? Anybody? How many of you are that family member that is really hard to shop for? All right, we've got some spouses raising the hands of others there. You are that family member. Did that family member, or maybe you when you were asked, maybe some of you said, I don't know, and you said, I don't need anything. Anybody heard those words or said those words this month? I don't need anything. And I have learned there is inverse proportion, it seems, to your age and to knowing what you want for Christmas. Kids, they've got it down. They know what they want. And uh, we've had a list, Annalise, our youngest, is here. She has had a Christmas wish list taped to the wall of the living room for since October. She knew what she needed, and yet still, her oldest brother Titus two days ago was saying, I know you have your list, but like, is there anything else, Annalise? What else do you want? And then for me, they kept asking. I was like, I don't know. I don't need anything. And uh, it seems that the younger you are, the more you know what you want. And uh, it it seems like sometimes parents and grandparents can be hard to shop for. Sometimes we don't know what we need, or or, or we don't know what we want. And uh, I saw this, and I sent it to my family. I saw this meme, I sent it to my family I could relate to as the cost of everything seems to be going up. What do you want for Christmas? Lately I've been really into groceries and gas. Utilities are cool too. And so that's what, if you're the one that pays the bills in the house, maybe that's what's on your wish list, is uh, let's pay for those things, knowing, giving someone something that they want. And uh, speaking of being good gift givers, you might have seen this, I saw this on social media the last couple of weeks, what if the wise men had been women, and uh, giving good gifts? They would have brought the right things there, right? And uh, what newborn... Mom needs myrrh and frankincense and gold, and I know there's some significance to those gifts. But being a good gift giver, and when we give gifts and when we receive gifts, we like to give or receive things that people actually want or that people actually need. Some of you maybe you are scared about Christmas morning tomorrow when someone opens it, like, oh man, I hope they like what I got them. I'm not sure that this is going to fit or it's going to be the color they wanted. Or, and sometimes we make it easy, right? Just the Amazon wish list, just go click and whatever you put on there. But, but when we give a gift, we like to know that it's something that the person wanted or that they needed. And uh, our family uh, does not allow Tiffany and me to forget. We try to be good gift givers, but there was one, I think it was Christmas, four or five years ago, maybe it was his birthday, I don't remember, but I know the gift. And T.J., when he was probably somewhere around 12 years of age, five or six years ago, um, uh, some reason — I believe it was Christmas — Tiffany got the idea, she said, I know what T.J. wants. I I know something he'll really like. I don't know why this was — why she thought this was a good idea, she said, We'll get him a cordless leaf blower so he can blow off the backyard." And I must have agreed with her, because I ordered it. Like, yeah, that's probably what every 12-year-old boy wants is a cordless leaf blower. Sounds like a great idea. And we had all the presents wrapped up, and he opened up the present. And Titus in our family, he's kind of our, our our creative gift giver. Does and he'll like put you know buy you something really small and he'll put it in ten or twelve different boxes, and you've got to open it. and You never know what it is. And so TJ was kind of like, "Oh, Dad, Mom, and Dad did that too. They would never give me a leaf blower, so let me open it up and see what's in there." He kind of looked at it. He looked at us like, "I didn't put that on my list." <laughs> Opened it up, and in there was a cordless leaf blower. And he kind of looked at us like. And mom's like, you're going to love that right in the backyard you can blow off the leaves. Yeah, thanks. You ever been there? You ever had to say thanks for something you really didn't need or want? Thank you. Is there a gift receipt? I'm not sure right there. And uh, that is where you put it in the re-gift pile, right? Don't be ashamed if you re-gift. There's no, there's no shame. And now it's bad if you re-gift it to the person that gave it to you, but, but, but they, they remind us that, that I don't think that leaf blower ever came out of the box. It was not a gift that TJ wanted or needed. Some of you might find out tomorrow morning that you got someone something they absolutely didn't want or need, and they just kind of smile and say thanks. In this final message of our three-week Christmas series on Sunday mornings here, we're going to see the God who meets my every need. The God who meets my every need. I told us a couple of Sundays ago when we introduced this series, this series is titled The God Who Understands Me. I told us that Christmas is the ultimate display that we have a God who understands us. A God who loves us, a God who knows us. Pastor Sammy was talking about that a little earlier in this service. A God who truly understands us. And sometimes people in our lives, or maybe authority figures, or someone in government, we kind of feel like they're out of touch. They don't get us. They don't understand us. They don't know what we need. They're not really living with our best interests at mind. And that can be really discouraging when there's someone in our lives like that that we feel doesn't understand us. But Christmas, we're going to get to it at the end of the message, Emmanuel is God with us. Jesus, the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas, is the reminder that you and I have a God who understands us. And so in week one, we saw that he's a God who understands my fears. We saw the four fear knots in the Christmas story. He's the God, whatever your, what your fear is today, he's the God who understands your fears. We saw last week, he's the God from Isaiah's prophecy, the God who understands my pain. We saw both weeks, Hebrews chapter number 4, speaking of Christ, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, for we have not in high priests that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin, let us therefore, because he knows what we're going through. Because he knows what we're facing, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. What does it say? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have a God who understands us, we can go and he can walk us through anything that we're facing. Christmas is that reminder. He understands my fears. He understands my pain. In week one, we looked at the Christmas story in Matthew chapter number one, and then last week we went a little over 700 years back in time to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, and today we're going to be in both spots. So if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to Matthew 1, the Christmas story there, and put a marker there. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, put a marker in Matthew 1, and then turn over to Isaiah 9. We're going to look at Isaiah's prophecies. Today... We're going to see some of the names that Jesus was called either at his birth or prophesied before his birth, and we're gonna look at what those names mean to us today, and how they impact us understanding His birth at the Christmas season that we celebrate. So, Matthew 1, put a marker there, and then Isaiah 9, and we're going to see that Christ knows exactly what we need, and He is the fulfillment of everything that we need. And how many of you said you knew, you, have, you knew what you wanted for Christmas, that you knew what you wanted for Christmas? So, what was on your Christmas list, Boston? What was something you wanted? Wireless headphones—dad, the older they get, the more expensive the gifts get, all right? Wireless headphones, and uh, we, we know what we wanted. Who else knew what they wanted for Christmas? Had something nobody wants to tell us. Now, Cannon, what did you want? A VR set. A VR set. All right. What happened to, like, Rocking Horse little blocks and wooden toys? VR set. All right, Mom and Dad, a VR set. And, and the, sometimes the, we, we know what we want. And maybe there are lists in your house and you've been shopping for loved ones and for friends and for others. But I want us to stop not about what we want for Christmas, what's on our Christmas wish list. I want us to stop today and think about what are the needs of every human that has ever lived. I want us to think what are your true needs in life and what are my needs and who is the one, where are we going to find the answer and the fulfillment to those needs? What are the needs? What are some universal needs that we have as we walk this earth? Things that all of us are trying to find the answers for. The heart level needs that each one yearns for. And how does Christmas remind us that Christ is the answer to those? Would you look at Isaiah chapter number 9? The prophet Isaiah, and as we're getting ready to read this, I want you to remember the context. So important when you read the Bible and study the Bible, that you, you understand who's writing, who's talking, who's speaking, who are they talking to, who are they talking about, when is it being written, what's happening there, because it completely helps to open up and unlock the truth of Scripture. Now what is happening in this, Isaiah is a book of, it's, it's what we would call a major prophet. It's a large book of the prophets. There were prophets in the Old Testament that would preach to Israel. The word prophet would be a somebody that would preach, they would prophesy things to Israel, God would give them a message and they would preach and they would prophesy to Israel. Isaiah was one of those prophets that preached to Israel and he prophesied, he, he served during the time that the Assyrians. Assyrians were taking the Jews into bondage. The Assyrians were taking them into captivity. They were being taken out of their homeland, being taken to another country. Their lives have been turned upside down. They were in upheaval, uncertainty, fear. They're wondering what's happening. Our government's being disbanded. What's happening to our country? What's going on? This is the context of where Isaiah is prophesying a group of people that have, had followed God that were completely. Uh, They were completely fearful, uh, scared, uncertain, and in really tough spots. Would you read Isaiah chapter number 9, verses 6 and 7 aloud with me? Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 aloud with me. Let's read that together. Ready? Begin. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this." What is he — who is he speaking to? He's speaking to a group of people that are really fearful. Their lives have been turned upside down. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what the world's gonna look like for their kids or their grandkids. They don't know what God is doing in their midst. They've, they, they are God's people, but now they've been overtaken. And the prophet stands up and gives them this prophecy that there is one coming who will be the answer to every one of your needs. And we're going to look here at a few names and a few things in these verses that remind us what are the universal needs that those Israelites some 3,000 almost years ago had and that you and I still have today? And how is Christ the fulfillment of that? I want us to leave encouraged that we have a God who meets our every need if we'll let him. So what needs does every person have that only Jesus fully and completely meets? I would suggest to you in verse number six, the first need that Christ meets, number one, is the need for love the need to be loved to know love the bible says that god is love do you see it in verse number six for unto us by the way unto us very personal unto us hey there's something for you and there's something for me unto us a what's the next word there church unto us a child is born unto us a what Before it calls him a king or a ruler, it says he has a child, a son, born unto us. You ask any parent, there is one of the the happiest days of their lives, if if God ever chooses to give them—if they're a parent, God gave them a child. Ask your parents, one of the happiest days of their life was when you were born. Now maybe some of the days after you were born weren't the happiest days of their life, but that day was. There's something about the love that a parent has for a child. There's something beautiful about that, and there is a love that no matter what they do, they're still my child, and I have a love for them, and there are things that happen there, but no love like the love of a family. That day that we were born uh, were the happiest days, the joy we sang about it today. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. The joy of a newborn baby. And what does the Bible say? For unto us is born a child, unto us a son is given. What is he saying? You are going to, we are going to know the love of relationship. He's coming to give us the love of family, the love, a child, a son. God is love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What need does everyone have? We all have the need to be loved, don't we? And Christmas is a reminder that we have a God That meets that every need. That child in a manger is the ultimate display of love in John 3.16. What other needs do we have? Notice what it says. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. These are people whose governments were in upheaval. Their country's being overtaken. They're going to live under a wicked, godless government. And you know what? Christmas is a reminder of the prophecy of Christ. He meets our need for trusted authority. Jesus is the fulfillment of an authority that we can trust. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was last week, uh, but no, it was two weeks ago. We talked about that. There is, there are, there, it's pretty disillusioning and discouraging when the leaders of your city or your county or your state or your country, you feel like don't have your best interests at heart. You feel like there's corruption you feel like they're making decisions that are taking our nation ways that are not going to be healthy or helpful, maybe financially or morally or whatever that might be, and we look and we say, can I trust our government? Can I trust uh, those in authority? Uh, what, is, what does the Bible say of Jesus? He will have the power to take care of the things that need to be taken care of. He is an authority that we can trust. There aren't many things that are more disheartening and discouraging and hard than when we have someone that we place our trust in, an authority figure, whether in a family or in a church or or at work or in government, somebody that we placed our trust in, and we said, I trust them for spiritual authority. I trust them for my financial authority, and they led me wrong. They stole money from my company, whatever it might be. I trusted them, and they failed me. That's really disheartening. And what was happening here, the Jews, their government had failed them, And he said, man may fail you, but there's one coming that you can trust his authority. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You ever stop to think, why do people get so invested in and involved in elections? We're coming up on a cycle, it's getting ready, it's starting really right now, and for the next year or so, many of us, our social media feeds and our news uh, news channels and all of those things, we're going to see stuff and bumper stickers and yard signs, and it's going to be all around us, and every one of us will be involved in it probably to different levels. But do you ever wonder why do people get so invested in and involved in elections? Why? Because we understand how important it is who has power to govern us and lead us. We want authority we can trust. We want authority that has our best interests at heart, don't we? It's why we feel so strongly. You've got to vote for this person. You've got to vote. I'm voting for this one. I'm on this team. You've got to vote for that one. Why? Because we can trust him more than we can trust that one. We can trust her more than we can trust them. This party has our interests at heart better than this party does, but can I tell you something that I figured out, no matter who you voted for and who you didn't, and when your guy got in and when your guy didn't get in, and whether it was Biden or Trump or Obama or Bush or Reagan or Clinton or any of those, however old you are. You know that all of them have done some things that were disappointing and that I disagreed with? All of them have made some decisions that I looked and said, I don't think that was the best interest of the nation at heart. And you know what happens? It doesn't matter who it is. Man will fail us, but the government shall be upon his shoulder. There is an authority coming that you can trust. He meets the needs. Are you confused who to trust, where to turn, who has your best interests in mind? Jesus came and he said you can follow the, the one who is over all of it. He sets up and takes down kings. You can rest no matter whether your guy gets in in 2024, or your guy doesn't get in, or your guy doesn't even get nominated by one of the major parties. You can trust there is one who's in control of it all. He meets our need for trusted authority look next it says his name shall be called wonderful counselor what does every person have a need for and what does Jesus meet I would suggest to you that we all have a need and a desire for significance what do I mean by that it says the word wonderful now sometimes we use the word wonderful just to mean good oh that dessert was wonderful oh you look wonderful today When you study this word, it's really a superlative that carries along the idea of incomprehensible. Completely mind-blowing. It is beyond our imagination, he shall be called wonderful. What is it saying? It's someone that is bigger than us, that has a power beyond ours, a power to heal, and a power to save, power to forgive. He is creator, ruler, sustainer, the the song says, and here's the thing that Christmas reminds us, the one who is wonderful, who is beyond our comprehension, he loves me. He is with me. Me, He is for me. He came for me. He died for me. He was born for me. He accepts me. He forgives me. The fact that the wonderful, beyond comprehension, mind-blowing Son of God would come to life, to come to earth for my life, what does that do? It makes my life significant, not because of who I am, but because of who loves me because of who's for me. Did you know that you were created in the image of God? Did you know that God knows who you are and he loves you? That makes you significant. What do people sometimes like to do? If we know somebody important, we like to name drop, don't we? Oh yeah, well I was having lunch with, you know, me and me and Warren Buffett were talking about investing the other day and, and then I went over, I was working out with Michael Jordan in the gym, and, and then I, I went from there and we like and I wasn't doing any of those things by the way, but but if I were, I would let you know, obviously. <laughs> because I want you to know that I'm a pretty significant person because of who I know. Because of who accepts me into their life. And beyond any name you could ever drop, do you know why your life has significance? Because the creator of the universe knows who you are. And he loves you. He is wonderful. He's beyond comprehension. And yet he came as a child unto us. Christ in me makes my life have more meaning and more importance and significance than anything else. Not because I'm wonderful, but because he is. Have you ever been in a situation or a social setting where you felt important because of who you were with or around? It was someone else's resources or merits that made you feel that way. I saw it come up on my Facebook feed this, this week. It was a memory popped up five years ago this week. Ashlyn and I, we went to a Clippers game on December 22nd, 2018. I've been to many collegiate and professional sporting events, but never one quite like this. I think we have a picture of of Ashton and I outside of Staples that day. How many of you think I should bring the beard back? What do you think there? My wife votes against that, but we were there, and Ashton and I went. A couple months before this, our school had had a fundraising auction, and someone in our school that had resources and things that I don't, they had season tickets courtside just a few seats over from the Clippers owner, Steve Ballmer. And uh, like three or four seats away from Steve Ballmer and their kids were in our school and for the auction they said we're going to donate two tickets to this game and then while we were at the auction they started I looked at all the things that we were auctioning for the school fundraiser and I said I'm going to I'm going to bid on that one and hopefully no one else does and I'm going to win that and I'm going to take one of my kids and they said who will give a dollar I said that's me who will give five I'm still there 10 I'm there 25 I'm out and uh it kept going, 100 whatever it went to, I don't remember what I bid, but somewhere along the way, a few hundred dollars, I dropped out and said, I'm not going to make it there. And people were bidding, and I don't remember what the final bid was, Keith, but I'm thinking it was $1,500 or $2,000 or $2,500, something. I had been out for a long time, so I wasn't really listening anymore. And I saw Keith Gilbert back there. He won the uh, the auction for the two Clippers tickets, and I thought, oh, that's cool. I didn't know Keith liked the Clippers, but hopefully him and his, mom, his wife or him and one of his boys, they'll enjoy that game together. And. And I, I didn't think anything else about it. And then that week, I got a, a handwritten note, said, Pastor. And in there was a note with the two Clippers tickets. And he said, I got this, and I, wanted, I hope you and one of your kids can, can create a memory and enjoy this time. And, and Gloria and I want to give you this gift as a, a, an appreciation. Say thank you. I hope you'll enjoy that. And so I went home, and I, I asked my wife, who's my favorite kid? And so Ashlyn won. And so I don't know why Ashlyn got to go and not the other ones, but somehow Ashlyn got in there. And, and we went to the game, and we, we pulled up, and uh, we were there outside, and instead of parking like you commoners do, <laughs> we pulled up to the Lexus valet service. I didn't, did you know they had that? Neither did I. And it was part of the season tickets, and we pulled up, and there's a red carpet there, and, hello, sir, and I just pulled up, and I tossed my key over my shoulder. And, <laughs> Because I can't be bothered to park in a parking garage and walk to the stadium, and I was only like 25 steps from the stadium. They have a private entrance for the people with these tickets, and Ashton and I walked in the private entrance, and like the independently wealthy aristocrat that I am, $100 bills were just falling out of my pockets (laughs) as I walked through the the halls there. And these tickets, they came with all-you-can-eat-food at a full buffet restaurant that's there just for us important people. And Ashlyn and I went in there, we got there. Well, we were there, you can tell, we were there before, no one's there. That's actually a game. See how we're there before everyone else? And uh, I want to make sure when the doors open, we're in, eating as much food as we could. So we went in and we ate as much as we could. And then we walked, me and I said hi to Steve and Steve Ballmer, you know, the owner. He had been a Microsoft executive. We're kind of close now. We sit at games together. I didn't say hi to him, but I did see him. And, uh, and, and we go in, and we eat, and, and, uh, and, and we're eating all that we can. And, and then we finished going out, and we went out to watch the players warm up. I think we have a picture of us standing in front of our seats. There it is. We we're literally one row away from courtside. Our view—the next picture is our view of the game action the entire time. And including the buffet, while you're sitting there, they have slaves or servants or whatever they're called. I don't know what they are, but they have people that come up and say, what else would you like? And you you can order anything you want free of charge, all the, the, the peanuts and the ice cream and all of that. And, and we did all of that. We're ordering all of those things. While we were warming up, a friend of ours um, that had, had — that their family had been in our school for five or six years. He had played for the Clippers and at that time was announcing. I saw — I was sitting there — again, it was hard to miss us. We were like the only four people in the stadium. Everyone else didn't come in yet. We're trying to get as much out of this one-time experience as we could. I see Corey McGetty over there, and Corey walked by and gave us a hug, and Corey said he said, hey, I want you to meet the nicest guy in the NBA, and he said, Boban, come here. If you've never seen Boban, he's the largest human being I've ever met. I think he's seven foot four inches, and uh, his hands envelop your hands. Ashlyn came up to his waist. <laughs> Boban's calf is bigger than Ashlyn. And, uh, and there we are. And then Corey. I thought Corey was a big guy. Cory looks like a normal person. I look like a midget. Ashlyn looks like an Oompa Loompa. I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, the, the, the scale has gone down from Bobon and, uh, and we can't even get his head in the picture there, and so he, he introduced us, and, and we were there, and we had a blast. Guess what? I don't even remember who won or not. It didn't matter. We didn't leave before the game was over. We stayed afterwards. They had to kick us out. They were sweeping the floor. Sir, you're going to have to go. I said, can I get one more hot dog, please, before I leave? And, uh, and then I came back, and, and, and the valet guy, and then I gave him, like, I thought it was good, like a $10 tip, and he kind of looked at me like, that's not what people at this place give. And uh, he said, sir, you're going to have to give more. No, he didn't say that, but I don't remember what I gave him. But whatever, I went and got my car. And, and why do I tell that story? Because it's Christmas, and if you have season tickets, I'd really like to go again. <laughs> why do I tell that story? Because there's kids in here, and I didn't want them to get completely bored with my message. Why do I tell that story? Because that story is an illustration that people with resources and relationships that we didn't have allowed us to enjoy an experience we never would have experienced on our own for a few hours. The person that owned those courtside tickets had resources we didn't have. Keith and Gloria, who won that auction and then their kindness and generosity to us, they had resources at that auction that we didn't have to go. And Corey, that relationship with Bobon, he had a, a relationship we didn't have. And we, our lives, we felt a lot more important for a few hours. Our lives felt a little more significant for a little bit of time. Why? Because some people with relationships and resources that we didn't have, they helped give us an experience far better than we would have ever had on our own. Far better than any experience like that is the life that a relationship with the wonderful counselor, mighty God gives you access to. Just like I had access to that private entrance because of those tickets, you and I have access to the God of the universe. He hears your prayers. He loves you. He knows you. I'm not talking a prosperity gospel here. He has blessings beyond anything you could ever imagine. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Thou knowest not your life matters. Sometimes it feels like what's my purpose here? Your purpose here is to glorify the one that created you, the God of the universe. He knows you. He knows your name. He loves you. He cares for you. And Christmas is the reminder. He came to give you significance. Who you are in Christ makes your life life, matter. He is wonderful, incomprehensible, mind-blowing, beyond comprehension, and he's interested in you. Number four, what does it say? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's a need that every human has? Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is discernment. Knowledge is different than wisdom. Knowledge is to know something. Wisdom is is being able to apply that knowledge to a situation to make the right decision. So, I I can know something, but if I don't make wisdom, knowledge, I can know that if I were to go get drunk and drive, I might get arrested, I might go to jail, I might kill somebody, I could totally destroy my life. I can know that, but wisdom would be if I were to go and get drunk, which by God's grace I'm not planning to and I never have, but if I were to go to do that, wisdom, which by the way is one reason you shouldn't, because your discernment, your wisdom goes down the more that you drink, but wisdom would say, okay, I know that that these things are true, so I'm not going to drive. That would be, now wisdom to me, more wisdom would have been never to get yourself in that position, but it's applying your knowledge. But every person that's ever been arrested for drunk driving or ever killed somebody or injured somebody in, a, in an alcohol-related car accident, what happened there? If you would have asked them, they knew the right thing to do, but they didn't apply that knowledge. I've said it this way before, wisdom is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. How many of you know that? It has seeds, so it's technically a fruit. I'm sorry, knowledge. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in your fruit salad. It's taking what you know and applying it for, to make good outcomes in your life. And here's the reality none of us has all the wisdom we need for this life, do we? Do we? So the Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. What does the Bible say? as a believer, that the aged women should teach the younger women, that the aged men should teach the younger men. What does the Bible say? We ought to help one another seek godly counsel. Oh, I'm I'm walking through this issue in my marriage. Here's someone that's been married for 30 years. Let me go get counsel. Oh, I'm choosing uh, where, where to go after high school and college in my next step. Here's somebody with great spiritual discernment and wisdom. Let me go talk to them and get some counsel. Oh, I'm starting to date or thinking about maybe marrying this person. Let me seek some people that have some wisdom. Why? Because none of us, the Bible says in James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. So if we need wisdom, we should pray and ask God for it. If we need wisdom, we need to know what decisions to make. We should go to other wise people for it. But the Bible says one of the reasons he came is to meet the need you have for wisdom. If you don't know which way to go, he gave you his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He gave you his word to counsel you, to guide you. Stay in his word. Stay in church. Pray and ask God to help you. The Holy Spirit will guide. What is the Bible reminding us? He is our counselor. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He has all the answers. He is the answer. That question you're wrestling with, take it to the Lord in prayer. What do you need this Christmas? Probably love. Probably an authority you can trust. You're probably a need you have is significance. My life doesn't matter. Wisdom and Jesus is all of that. Number five, look what it says the mighty God. What's a a need that things that humans often seek after power? Man is constantly in search of power. May I say this morning, Christmas is a reminder stop seeking your own power and rest in His. He's the mighty God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No matter how bad things seem, God isn't caught off guard. His arm is not shortened. His power is not weakened. He is the mighty God. Number six. Do you see the next one? The everlasting what, church? The everlasting, what is it? The everlasting what? Father. What does every human need? Acceptance and security. Acceptance. And security. And by the way, I understand that some fathers are better at this than others. And I understand that maybe some of you have never known your biological father, or you have, and they've failed you. But here's what he says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he'll be called, and he starts listening, the everlasting father. Maybe you had a good relationship with your father for a while, and now you don't. Everlasting, consistent, will never end. That need for acceptance and security that a father should provide but doesn't always provide can be found in the Christ child who became the risen savior, a close, personal, loving relationship that will never fail you. Man may fail, family may fail, Christians may fail you, governments may fail, leaders may fail, Jesus never fails. He's the everlasting father, not just—we talked about the government, but kind of—he's not just the king or the dictator or the ruler. He's not just the sovereign. Now, he is the sovereign, and he is the ruler, and he is the king of kings, but don't you love that it doesn't stop there. It says he's the everlasting father. He loves you. He accepts you. He can give you that security that you're looking in other places for. He will accept you into his family if you'll let him. And then what does it say? The everlasting father, the prince of what? peace. What has mankind been looking for for thousands of years? Peace. Well, maybe a two-state solution will finally do it. Maybe if we meet at the, the, the peace accords, that, we'll finally get it. Maybe a ceasefire. Maybe, maybe this, and maybe this president can meet in this place, and maybe we can all get together. Maybe the UN is going to give us the peace we're looking for. Spoiler alert, they're not. But what are we looking for? We're looking for peace. Yes, peace on earth. How many songs are written about that? Peace on earth. But aren't we looking for peace in our hearts? Aren't we looking for peace in our lives? That constant nagging, maybe that next purchase. Maybe that next promotion, maybe that next relationship, maybe that next accolade, maybe that next achievement, maybe that next experience, that will finally, maybe that next uh, drink or that next whatever it might be, that substance will give me the peace I'm looking for. We all are looking for peace. Maybe that next, whatever it is, and here's what it says, he is the prince of peace. He's the God who meets my every need. May I say this morning, whether you're looking for peace on earth or simply peace in your heart. Art, Christ offers the peace you're longing for. It's interesting, the nations that have been most governed by His principles and His Word are the nations who have experienced the greatest levels of literal physical peace. And the people that know Christ as Savior are the ones who can have a peace that passes all understanding that keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Then verse number seven says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth ever, forever. What is a need that every person has that Christ is the fulfillment of? Number eight, we all have a need for a purpose, don't we? We spend our lives living for kingdoms. Some of us live for kingdoms of this earth. We live to build our own kingdom, maybe a business, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we, we live and we invest our lives. I'm going to build this kingdom, or look at my life, look at my family. Sometimes uh, our family, our, we, we're, we're big 49ers fans, and we love that, and people go crazy for their favorite sports team. Why? It gives them a purpose to belong to something bigger than themselves. That's my team. We'll be walking through a store here in Southern California, and somebody will have a Niners hat or a Niners sweatshirt on, and I'll see them, and I'll say, bang, bang, Niner gang, and they'll look at me, and we'll give a high five. And we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, and we, we find our commonality there. If they're wearing that, then we're automatically friends, right? And we're automatically have something to talk about. But why, why, and and this can be in any area, but why is it that sometimes we'll give our whole lives to a job or a business? We're looking for something that's bigger than us that will last beyond us. We're looking for a purpose bigger than ourselves to live for. And what does it say here in verse 7? Of his kingdom, there shall be no end. He gives us a kingdom to live for that is bigger than us and lasts beyond us because it's eternal. It's a purpose for which to live. Far better than my favorite team winning this year, and then next year it all starts over again, and we're on the bottom of the heap, and whatever that might be. Far far better than, when well, my business had a great year, and now we went bankrupt, and whatever happened, those kingdoms go up and down. Of His kingdom, there shall be no end. And I'm not saying that we don't work hard at work. I'm not saying we can't have some fun with other groups and do some things. I am saying be careful where your priority is. What are you giving your life to? The thing you're giving your life to, is it bigger than you, and will it it lasts beyond you. We should be giving our lives to something bigger than us that will last beyond us, and that is the kingdom of God. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. A kingdom to live for that will last. We all want to give our lives to that, don't we? And I want us to see two more names, and we're done. Would you skip over to the Christmas story, Matthew 1? Two more names, and I'll wrap it up. Matthew chapter 1, we read this two Sundays ago. You've listened well. If you'll stay with me, these are two of the most important needs that he meets. Actually, the most important first one. I want you to see it, Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 20. Matthew chapter 1, speaking of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. The Bible says, but while he thought on these things, behold, while Joseph thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name, what? What is it? You shall call his name Jesus. The choir sang this today in their song. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua, do you know what that word Yeshua means? It means to rescue, to deliver. Look what it says. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. There is a rescuer coming, a deliverer, a redeemer a savior, which is Christ the Lord. What is a need that every human has to be rescued from the penalty of our sins? Every one of us, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment of our sin is death in hell. There's a physical death. And the Bible says, after this, the judgment. And he says here there is a problem that all of us have. We have a payment because of our sin. We have to be forgiven. We have to be redeemed. Someone has to pay the price of our sin. Either you can pay the price of your sin, or you can call on the rescuer, the redeemer, the deliverer, the savior. You'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. You're his people, by the way. You're who he came for. He loved the world, the whole world that he gave his only begotten son son, that whosoever, that's you and that's me, he came to save you from your sins. Every person has the need to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be saved, to be delivered. And we all try to find the answer to that in different ways, don't we? Some of us, we try to earn our redemption through good works. Others of us try to pay for our redemption through big gifts to charity, Others of us might try to look for those things. We try to to, uh, be faithful to a religion. We try to deserve his redemption by our good deeds, and every one of our efforts fall miserably short. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's only one who can rescue you from sin and shame. His name is Jesus. Yeshua, the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior. Paul said it this way in the book of Acts, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said it himself in John 14, verse number six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. We have a need of a rescuer. And if you're in this room this morning, and you've never received, what did you want for Christmas, we asked. And some of you, all of you could tell me different things, things that were on your wish list. What do you need for Christmas? All of us need the same thing. We need a redeemer. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. And if you're here this Christmas and you've never had your sins forgiven, You've never accepted the gift of eternal life. The Bible says, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never, I don't care what's under your tree right now, if you've never received the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins, eternal salvation, that is the greatest gift that anybody could ever get this Christmas. Don't leave here today without accepting Christ. As your Savior. And then lastly, where we started the whole series three weeks ago, we started with this verse, verse number 23, behold a virgin. Let's read it together aloud, Matthew 1 verse 23, ready? Begin. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name, which being interpreted is? What's the need that all of us have? Relationship. Companionship. There's nothing like feeling like you're all alone in this world. And you may be in some seasons of your life fairly alone in this world. But if you know Christ as Savior, he is Emmanuel. God with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. Whether the closest relationships in this life have failed you or have done great things for you, Jesus never does. He is the need of relationship, companionship. I'm not alone if I know Christ. I'm never alone and I'll never be alone. Why? I have that friend that sticks closer than a brother. When man walks out, when loved ones hurt me. So what do you want for Christmas? Anybody still have to get out to the store today and buy a last-minute gift? Anybody out there? Most of you are done. How many of you are praying hard for that UPS driver that he makes it to your house today? All of us have some Christmas lists, don't we? Or some wishes. But let's put those aside as we close up this message. What do you need this Christmas? Which one of those would be the one that you most deeply need right now? Christmas is the reminder, it's the display that we have a God who understands me. And He is the God who can meet your every need if you'll let Him. Is it love for you? Is it trusted authority? Is it significance? He's wonderful. Is it wisdom? He's counselor. Is it power? He's the mighty God. Is it acceptance and security? He's the everlasting Father. Is it peace? He's the Prince of Peace. Is it purpose of his kingdom? There shall be no end. There's nothing better to give your life for. Is it rescue? They'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Is it relationship? And we misspelled relationship, please don't point that out. That will will mess my whole Christmas up now. It was probably me, but I'm not gonna throw anyone under the bus, but I will be going back to check my email to see if it was me that I typed it wrong that is terrible. I hate it. But thankfully, I need perfection for my mistakes, and that's what he is. In my faults and failures, I did it on purpose to show you that in my faults and failures, (laughs) he's everything that we need. You need relationship? He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the God who meets your every need, if you'll let him. Everything you're looking for is found in and fulfilled in Christ. This morning, if you don't know Him as Savior, or if you've not been walking with Him as friend, you've been looking to meet these needs in all different places, why don't you let the Christ child of Christmas become your Savior, your God, that will meet your every need? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for those that might be newer in our church, these closing moments of the service, we call the invitation. What we mean by that is we're inviting you to reflect on what you've just heard and to respond to what you've heard. There will be some undoubtedly that might come forward to spend some time in prayer here. There might be others that would like for one of our pastors to pray with them on a special need. There might be others that might come forward or talk to one of us and have some questions about the Bible, whatever the case may be. In the next few moments, I'm gonna invite you to respond to what you've heard. And how many of you would say, Pastor Ryan, one or more of those is a, is a specific need that I have in my life right now, whether it's love or trust authority, significance, purpose, acceptance and, trust, uh, acceptance and security, relationship, peace. One of those is a specific need I have in my life. And Pastor Ryan, I'll be honest, in some ways I've been trying to fill that need myself in my own efforts, but today's a reminder, I want to run to Christ for my need, not run to places that won't satisfy Pastor Ryan, there was a specific point there that I was reminded of my need for Christ. Would you slip your hand up? I'd love to pray with you. Slip your hand up, many hands all over the auditorium. How many of you would be here and you'd say, Pastor Ryan, I'll be honest. You talk about a relationship, that He's a Savior. I don't know Christ as my personal Savior. If that's you, in just a moment, I want to pray a prayer with you, and I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. There are no magical words that will save you, but it's a prayer of faith. I want you to pray something like this. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and today, on this Christmas morning, you'd like to begin that personal relationship with Jesus, the one who came to redeem you. I want you to pray something like this. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you don't know for sure if you were to die that you'd go to heaven, I'd like you to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong, and I don't deserve to go to heaven. But today, I'm accepting you as my savior. By faith, I'm receiving your free gift. Forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me, for being my savior.